documenting what you're doing to be able to show people later makes a huge difference when you're trying to get it partners in or raise money with other people best ever listeners do you want to make more money on your real estate projects well i'm guessing that i'm hearing you say oh yeah baby (laughs) well guess what my friends today's best ever sponsor fund that flip is working with well one of our previous best ever guests who has the most one of the most popular episodes jay scott If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal Best Ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D. T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P dot com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, hello. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out all the fluff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. And well, this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. With us today, we've got someone who started off with house hacking, then started partnering with people and networking more. And then he built a business and now he's traveling a whole lot. He is the founder and moderator of the San Francisco Bay Real Estate Networking Summit, which is the largest meetup in San Francisco, and the summit is coming up here in August, and I will be a speaker there, and I want to learn more about our founder of the summit and hear his story. How are you doing, Jay Martin? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show, and a little bit more about Jay, his personal portfolio is $1 million plus in high cash flowing real estate in the San Francisco Bay Area. He grew his rental income to 50000 a month with minimal out-of-pocket investment. You better believe we're going to dig into that one. He's based in Oakland, California, and you can say hi to him and learn more about the summit at sfbaysummit.com or just simply click the link in the show notes page. That being said, Jay, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. When I first got started, I hadn't networked with other investors yet, and I was kind of wandering around in the desert by myself, so to speak. I was originally going to buy a condo and just have a loft for myself. And then I found out about the FHA fourplex loans, and what had actually turned me on to biggerpockets.com, which I know you've done a podcast on many other great investors on there and made a lot of connections. So I think that if I wouldn't have met other 
real estate investors out there and started networking with others, I might've stopped right there. I might've just bought my first fourplex and just wrapped up and said, well, I don't qualify for another loan. I don't have any more money. And I might've just stopped at that point. And so meeting other folks on bigger pockets and then going to meetups in person and forming my own meetup group out in San Francisco really started getting me connected and opened my eyes to what else was available to invest in out there and how to get more money and how to partner with other people. And so that's kind of what got me started on my growth path was buying that first fourplex and then starting to network more with people online and in person. Okay, let's talk specifics. You bought a fourplex. How much money did you put into it? And was that money that you saved up from a full-time job? Yes, I was working full-time jobs, state of California. I was only making about, I think, 50 grand at the time, which is nothing in the Bay Area. And, you know, really I had nothing. I'd just gotten out of school. I was working. I knew real estate was great. I was getting exposed to real estate deals in my day job. But basically what I did was I put every dime of expenses on my credit card and I put every dollar that I got from my salary in the bank for about four or five months. And I had $12,000 to put down on a $375,000 fourplex, really with nothing. And after rehabbing some of those units and renting them out, at least at the time, I was getting about, I think I was getting 1200 a unit. So somewhere around 4800 a month on a 375 purchase, about 400 all in. So it was a little bit over the 1% rule, so to speak, and right by the BART station here in the Bay Area, although kind of out further in Richmond. And so that's how I got started, basically, with nothing and got into my first fourplex. What's it worth now? Oh, um, you know, I already took out all the cash that I put in, plus rehab, plus more. It appraised for, I believe, five fifty about six months ago. So it's up about 150000 on that particular property. Maybe a little bit more, maybe closer to six by now. Okay. Then you mentioned that you started meeting people, went on bigger pockets, and started your own meetup. What was the next transaction that you did? So at that point, I was looking around. I've been talking to a lot of people about real estate. I tried to get people in on a real estate deal earlier, and everyone kind of told me I was crazy that I knew. They said, you know, the market's dropping. Whoever wants to be invested in real estate again? So anyway, I just when started going to more what, and more what, meetups. What year? This is in, so I, I made my first purchase on New Year's Eve of 2012 was the fourplex. So this is going into 2013. There was still a lot of great deals out there on the MLS, even here in the Bay Area. And so I started talking with other folks and said, hey, here's the money I'm already making on my fourplex. I took pictures of the before and after for the rehab of my projections when I first went into it and what I was making today. You know, I love to share this with other people. I don't think it's not my best real estate investment advice, but, you know, documenting what you're doing to be able to show people later makes a huge difference when you're trying to get partners in or raise money with other people. Seeing what you've actually done, seeing your projections that you followed through, seeing the pictures, the rehab, I think went a long ways in convincing people what I was able to do and to achieve. And you were doing the rehab yourself? You know, in this case, I had hired people and was sort of supervising it myself. There were four units, and I didn't really have enough time or the expertise to actually do it all. So that first one, at the time, I really wasn't connected and didn't know a lot of people. So I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I was getting people from Home Depot, GC checking in every once in a while. And 
I probably wasn't as efficient and lost a lot of money because I didn't really have the contacts and network to make it happen myself. I was kind of just doing it part and parcel with what I could do when I could get it. Okay. But then moving forward, you know, I found these deals that were still in the MLS. The next purchase I made was two single family homes on one lot, kind of out by the BART station in Richmond for 245 So in the Bay Area, being able to buy a couple of houses for 128 piece is a fantastic deal by any measure. At the time, people hadn't seen it quite as much. But actually partnered up with someone that lives down in the Southern California who wanted some exposure to the Bay Area. And we ended up purchasing that property together. Went on to do another deal with them. Went on to do another deal with another investor in Silicon Valley that I'd met at a meetup about a year earlier. And um, actually, this was really great. This last deal that I did purchased from another person that I'd met at a meetup and purchased with a different person that I'd met at a meetup before. So actually, in my last deal was solely due to networking, both on the, you know, on the sell and on the buy side. They were both people I'd met at different meetups. Mm. At least for my deals, they never would have happened if I wasn't out talking to people at live events around the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Those two single-family homes that you bought for two hundred and forty total, one twenty a piece. What's the business model for those? You know, these are a little bit lower-end rentals, at least at the time they were. So there are neighborhoods that are gentrifying somewhat, but they're still a little bit lower-end. So I think there's a little bit more hands-on management that's necessary with a lot of the tenants. And there's a more upfront screening to be successful in the back end. I don't necessarily recommend it to everyone. In the Bay Area, it was a way to get cash flow. Basically, the only way to really get cash flow at the time. So that's what really drew me in, and it's been successful so far, although it's come with its challenges also. Okay, what do they rent for? Um, the rents for, like, for example, for my two-bedroom apartments in Richmond, it's a little bit hard to answer that question because it's different now. So I talked a little bit about squeezing out cash flow in the Bay Area, and I kind of started in these lower-end areas. Well, now that the economic cycle has progressed, I don't really like the prices around here. So I stopped buying buildings, and what I focused on growing is something that's profitable in this segment of the economic cycle, and that's furnished rentals. So in this case, those two-bedroom apartments in Richmond that were originally renting for when I bought it was actually eight seventy-five. I got it up to twelve hundred. Those now rent for twenty-five hundred dollars a month as furnished rentals. So I, now, I, are you referring to the two single-family homes? These are actually my first fourplex that I Oh, your first fourplex. Okay. Yeah, Got so it. that original one that had kind of had these depressed rents and I got yeah, up yeah. to 1200, you know, I was making 4800 a month yeah. on, you know, in total gross revenue on about 400 all in. I thought I was doing great. Yeah. Until I started furnishing them and renting them out for 2500 a unit. And then I said, "Oh my god, this thing can do 10,000 a month in revenue on a $400,000 purchase price instead." Mm. And again, you know, the market value is about 600 now, so you can still make it work definitely with a furnished rental. But I was just shocked, first of all, that it worked in this area. And secondly, how much more money I could get converting these things over to furnished rentals. So it's almost doubled my gross rental income, making that conversion over. And so now in this part of the economic cycle, I've been sort of transitioning to that furnished rental business and have about 15 furnished apartments so far. I could talk a little bit more about getting those too. How'd you get an idea to do furnished rental? You know, I only had one originally, and I was running it as a vacation rental, had 100 guests my first year, but was running it all automated, never showed up in person. 
I had hired a property manager actually, and she had encouraged me to try it out in some other apartments. And I thought she was crazy. I thought it would never work. I thought it was going to be too much work, but slowly started rolling these out at other properties that I already owned. Once that started working, and actually, you know, part of this is stuff I read on Bigger Pockets. I just want to give a shout out actually to Al Williamson, who's on Bigger Pockets and does a lot of short term rentals. That got me introduced to it kind of because I had some extra space. But then once I found out that there was demand for people staying one month, two months, three months, I realized that I could expand the business without having to have thousands of guests per year, which is what it would have looked like on the vacation rental side. All right. The first one is now it went from 1200 to 2500 once you went from unfurnished to furnished. Now going back to the question I was asking before, the two single family homes that you bought for 240, how much are they renting for and are they furnished unfurnished? Those are unfurnished right now. I'm thinking about converting them to furnished rentals. Those homes are getting about 1600 a month right now. They're below market, but I've kind of been raising rents a little bit more slowly than they've been going up. It's going to make it a little bit easier on the tenant because I don't make a ton of my money on that one. 1600 a piece? Yeah. Okay. What do you think they're worth right now? They're just small two-bedroom, one-bath homes. It's a little tricky because they're on one lot and can't be sold individually, but you can't really buy a house in the neighborhood for less than 250 You know, so it's, it's probably worth about double what we paid somewhere around there, somewhere around 500000 Okay. On the subsequent deals where you said you partnered with the Southern California investor, you partnered with someone from Silicon Valley, how do you structure those partnerships? You know, they're both somewhat similar. Both the people owned other real estate. Both of them were looking to get exposure to the Bay Area. Both of them are pretty busy and like to be a little bit more on the passive side. So the way I structured these deals is... I go out and find the deal, analyze it, do all the due diligence, bring it to the investor. I didn't have much money at the time, right? I just borrowed all the money I could from my credit card to put down for my FHA loan. So what I structured it as is for the equity needed. So we go borrow money from the bank. For the down payment needed, we were going to do a 50-50 deal. So we split that in half. Of my half, I would borrow the majority of that from my investment partner. So they're essentially carrying back a note for my equity investment in the property. So actually, um, on that first deal, you know, I put 12000 down for FHA. So I try to put down only $12,000 of every deal I do. It's like my lucky number now. So, for example, you know, we bought a fourplex for just under 400000 So we needed about 120 in cash for down payment, a little bit of rehab. So that should be sixty a piece. I put down twelve thousand and borrowed forty eight. The profits from the property, you don't take those profits until you pay them back? You know, we actually I pay the note regardless of what happens with the property. So I make quarterly payments on my promissory note and then we just have a separate thing with distributions from the property. So I actually do receive distributions before the note is necessarily paid back. But each property, except for one that we did a big cash out on and is under rent control, each property produces a lot of cash flow. So there's more than enough to service the debt plus make distributions. You're doing all of analysis and finding the property and sharing it with them. And then they bring the money. You split it 50-50. 
but you bring 12000 and cover the difference of whatever your remaining 50% is by paying on a quarterly note. Is that correct? Correct. And there's a little bit different structure for different ones, but some of them are like five to seven year interest only. Some of them are fully amortizing 15 year notes. And then most of those actually I've paid off with subsequent cash out refis on the properties. Hmm. How'd you think to structure it this way? I haven't heard of this before. You know, first of all, I wanted it to be 50-50. I prefer not to have different interests. In other words, oh, someone collects cash flow, someone gets appreciation, or this person gets this percentage. And I just wanted to do it straight down the middle. So the second question was, how do I fund my 50% investment? There's a million ways to do any type of deal, any type of structure, right? In my particular case, these people wanted to own the property for a long term for the long term appreciation, and they wanted some cash flow in the meantime. So for me, my question was, okay, how do I fund this chunk without giving up equity? Because I was a big believer in the market going up when I was buying in the financial crisis. So basically, I just asked myself, hey, if I'm in their shoes and I want to be secure in my investment, but also produce a good return, what would make sense for me? And I went in and talked to him about it, and I figured, you know what, some rate around 7 8% is pretty healthy for a secured return. I told him you can file a lien on the property if you want so you can be secured. And I included some other clauses that give them some protection. One, I actually cross-collateralized with another building or gave them the option to cross-collateralize, although they didn't actually file the lien. That was my thing. I, I didn't want to give up the equity, so I just found a way to borrow the difference. I actually didn't know other people weren't doing that structure. Maybe I should look at some other structures and see if something's better too. Hmm. No, that's interesting. How are you able to cash flow if you're making these quarterly payouts on these deals? You personally, I know the property, but you personally. Number one is it was during the financial crisis and there were some great deals to be had out there. Well, the financial crisis was 2008 and 2009. You started in 2012 and 2013, right? Yeah, so in the San Francisco Bay Area, the market really bottomed in 2012. 2010 has sort of taken quite a dip. 2011 recovered a little bit, and then it kind of double dipped again in 2012. So at least in the Bay Area, kind of mark about February to sometime this summer of 2012 was kind of the bottom of the market, depending on which city you were in. So it's been increasing all the way up till today at a pretty brisk pace. So again, back then, you could just grab stuff off the MLS. And, you know, when you get... I was buying stuff, mostly vacant, and then rehabbing it, except for the houses. One of them was occupied in this other duplex. But when we increased the rents, we were all in at probably a 6.5 to 7.5 GRM, gross rent multiplier. I don't know how you calculate your cap rate or whatever, but it's, it's probably over around 10%. So with that, my debt load actually wasn't that high, even at the 7% rate, because it was only a, a fraction of the deal, too. Mm-hmm. How many deals have you done with this partnership? With that kind of structure, I've done three purchases with two different investors. They've worked out really well so far. Again, pretty passive investors. And I think you know the most important thing is we have the same long-term goals. We both want to hold this stuff for a long, long time. We don't have different goals as far as when to get out, when to tr- distribute cash and all those things. So I think that's why it works. Do you have four properties then that one fourplex plus these three other ones? Yeah, fourplex, a couple single-family homes, another fourplex, another duplex that we bought. Kind right. of probate wholesale deal. And by the time I bought this last one, I'm kind of looking at the market. 
And things just seem really good. Unemployment's basically as low as it gets right now. The economic cycle has had five, six years off the bottom. And when I look at the economic data out there, it just looks like all the things that would help us have already kind of blown, so to speak, right? Interest rates are already as low as they get. Unemployment's about already as good as it gets. And banks are being more accommodative than they've been since pre-crisis. So to me, I just don't see the market going that much further from here. And if it does, it's probably going a little bit past where it should be. So that's why I stopped buying and focused on maybe a little bit more like you focused on controlling some property instead of purchasing it. And have you made any other transactions to control property or is that what you're working on now? I haven't purchased anything else since those properties, but what I've been doing recently is I started working with some of my investor buddies that I know here in the Bay Area. You probably know a lot of them from bigger pockets and they'll be out to summit too. But basically they own apartments. They want market rents and easy tenants to work with. And so for a lot of folks in Silicon Valley, so I have some apartments in San Jose, Mountain View, Redwood City, and I pay market rent to them, furnish the apartment, and re-rent it usually about three months at a time to tech interns, travel nurses, business folks. So I've picked up about another, I think, 10 or 12 apartments from investors here in the Bay Area where I'm renting out from them and, and continuing this furniture rental business. I want to make sure I'm understanding you. You work with people who own apartment buildings. You rent out certain apartments within those buildings. You then furnish them, and then you make the spread on whatever you get above and beyond the rental price? That's correct. And you're not buying these. It's just cash flow for you. And they're benefiting because they have a rented apartment, plus they show on their operating statement that they've got higher market rent? Sort of. So actually, usually I'm paying market rent. So not necessarily getting extra. But the furnished apartment is higher than what it would be if it wasn't furnished. So the rent roll, it would show the furnished apartment's rent instead of the unfurnished. Is that right? I'm going to talk to some of the individual owners about it. Some of them have gone in for refinancing. But really because their contract with me is to receive market rent with the right to sublease. So they're not necessarily including my operations in their operations. I think that depending on the way you structure the lease, I think there's an opportunity to do that. And actually, in my opinion, I think that if you're going to sell the building at some point, I think there could be some marginal benefit to having the total gross revenue flow through the building. And then after expenses, you still have a good net profit. And I think that someone is willing to pay something more for a property that can be operated in that manner. It's not going to be a full-blown gross rent multiplier cap rate on that new higher revenue, but I think that there's some opportunity maybe there to, to add some value by including that income and showing the potential Got you know, it. that it has. It would just be like if you were doing Airbnb and the owner did not know you're still paying the same rent, but you happen to be renting it up for much higher through Airbnb, but that's kind of behind the scenes. Exactly. And, you know, in this particular case, they all know exactly what's going yeah, on. Of course. You know, they're fine with it. What's the benefit um, to them yeah. besides getting market rent? What's the benefit? A few different motivations. You know, one is just, for example, a lot of times they'll have a unit coming up and it's going to be, say, vacant in three weeks. I'll pre-lease it for a day after it's done being vacated. So a big part of, I think, 
what people like is pre-leasing. So they don't have to fix it up before showing it because I know what it's going to look like because I have other partners with most of these guys anyway. So I would say pre-leasing is one of them. And second and kind of third thing, having just a tenant that you know what's going to happen. So we've all kind of had these quirky tenants, even in the higher end markets, some that are super picky, some that whine about everything, some that just like to talk all the time. There's these different characters out there. So I think they like the stability of just knowing what they're going to get. Thirdly, I usually improve the apartment also. So I typically go in, I'll paint some accent walls, maybe some different lighting, usually put in a, a nice fan or different things to just make it a little bit nicer. So they actually get some improvement to their property. They pre-lease it. They know exactly what they're going to get. And in some cases, they just want a multi-year lease. So some of these guys want more like a commercial lease where it's going to go on for multiple years and they know exactly what the increase is going to be. So in some cases I have, for example, like a five-year lease with an annual step up, just like you'd see in a commercial office lease, for example. You're doing this in states where if the tenant needs to be evicted, that it would be an easy eviction process because that would be a whole hot mess for the owner since you're leasing out your lease. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I live in California and I live in the Bay Area and it's not that easy to evict people. It's one of the risks that I absorb as a tenant. So I'm responsible for paying rent no matter what's going on in the apartment. It could be vacant. It could be a non-paying tenant. It could be any myriad of things. It doesn't matter who's in there or what's getting paid. I'm responsible for paying the lease. Mm. So it's not really a risk of the landlord. It's my risk that I absorb and that I would have to absorb financially. So there's no official paperwork saying that you're going to be furnishing the apartment? To be honest, a lot of times just for simplicity purposes, I just use the standard lease with the right to sublease. That's really the basics of the deal. There's a lot of intricacies around it, but basically it's just a lease with the right to sublease to other people. And so far it's been pretty good, but you got to look at the nature of the people that are coming in. They're usually live in a different state. They're usually very highly paid. They're here on a contract for something for a limited period of time. And then they're going back to wherever they're from to finish school, go back to the company they were at, whatever it may be. So they're generally pretty reasonable, very highly paid, educated people that live in another place and they're not trying to stay here anyway. So knock on wood, I haven't had any eviction issues, any people wanting to stay too long, anything else, but um, I think there's enough profit built in to absorb that if necessary. <laughs> yeah. I, not only one, but two concepts that I have not heard of after 700 interviews on this podcast. You are continuing to amaze me. All right, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever is to go network with more people. Get on biggerpockets.com, go to your local real estate meetup, shameless plug, come out to the summit, but really whatever it is, go out and meet other successful investors and see what they're doing. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Want to make 2016 your best year in sales ever? Register today for Tom Hopkins' two-day sales academy hosted in Las Vegas on August the 26th and 27th. This event's going to sell out. Go get your seat today. Go to TomHopkins.com forward slash sales academy. That's T-O-M-H-O-P-K-I-N-S dot com forward slash sales academy. Best ever book you've read. 
Best ever book I've read. And we're talking about real estate books here? Yeah. You know, I will go... Man, I have to go way back because I don't read a lot of real estate books. But I would say the Kiyosaki book, actually, just like so many people, it just got me motivated to make more money. So it's not going to be maybe the best recommendation ever, but I'm going to stick with it. Best ever personal growth experience. What'd you learn from it? Best ever personal growth experience actually was joining biggerpockets.com. I had no idea what other people were doing and felt like I was alone and kind of flying by myself when I first started investing. Johnson Hong introduced me there. From there, I went to the local meetups. From there, I started my own. From there, I started the summit. And I just can't recommend it enough. I have no direct affiliation with it. But biggerpockets.com really changed my investing. Best ever deal that you've done? I think the best ever deal was the last one that I did. Wholesale probate deal, off-market, bought with another investor I had networked with, bought from another investor I had networked with. And I could only do that deal because I knew enough people. I knew someone who had done probate before. I knew someone who had done all the wholesaling contracts. And so I made these calls and was able to get this deal done because of the network that I had. And that was my best deal ever. Best ever way you like to give back? You know what? I have an annual volunteering event in Oakland. So a lot of my properties there, it's kind of a lower income community. I have an annual cleanup event that I organize both with my real estate meetup group and others to bring everyone out, meet people in the community. The mayor of Oakland always comes out. She actually gave me a kiss last year. So I like to start there with this own thing that I organize and then a lot of other uh, volunteer events around the Oakland area. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? Oh, man. Um, I've had a few. I would say my biggest mistake was not getting started to meet other people earlier. I think if I would have started networking earlier, like in the beginning of the financial crisis with real estate folks, I probably would have retired at 29 instead of 31. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? The best place is probably on biggerpockets.com. My name is Jay Martin on there. Or if you're interested in coming to network out at the summit, August 27th and 28th in Oakland, it's sfbaysummit.com. And best ever listeners, you can just click the link in the show notes page to the summit to sign up and attend. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm going to be there with Jay. I'm going to be speaking on a panel or two and looking forward to meeting some of the bigger pockets friends that I've had online and actually meeting them in person and seeing that they're real life human beings and talking to them and getting to know them. And I'm looking forward to that. So I highly recommend you attend that summit with us on that weekend. So just go to sfbaysummit.com. Jay, as I said earlier, (laughs) you opened up my mind in two ways. I've never heard of your structure where you have a 50-50 split and put in 12,000, then carry back the rest on a note. The second one is the renting out of apartments and then furnishing them and making the spread. Obviously, that's Airbnb. So best ever listeners who are listening might be like, he's just doing Airbnb. Okay, I get that. But I I guess I haven't heard it presented in this way. For whatever reason, it sounds new to me. And I'm thinking for my deals that I have in Texas and Ohio, I'm thinking, well, shoot, could we do something like that and just increase the income? And so you got my mind racing. I'm not sure about it. I've, I've got to think about it, but it's always good when there's thought provoking conversation. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate that. Thanks, Joe. I'm happy to be on. Want to make 2016 your best year in sales ever? 
Register today for Tom Hopkins' two-day sales academy hosted in Las Vegas on August the 26th and 27th. This event's going to sell out. Go get your seat today. Go to TomHopkins.com forward slash sales academy. That's T-O-M-H-O-P-K-I-N-S dot com forward slash sales academy.